Knife Talk is sponsored by Evenheat, the manufacturers of the finest heat treat ovens available. To get your next heat treat oven, go to evenheat-kiln.com. Welcome to Knife Talk. We're a podcast for knife makers, knife enthusiasts, bladesmiths, blacksmiths, makers, you know. My name's Jeff Fader. Normally, I'm here with bladesmith Mareko Momasi of Momasi Fire Arts and Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives, but not today. I am graced by the presence of my friend John Ariani of Sunset Forge, aka at Sunset Forge NJ on Instagram. He's a blacksmith, sculptor, He's got an MFA in sculpture, and you all know what that means. He is the co-founder of the Modern Forge Blacksmithing Team, which is a highly decorated seven blue ribbon Editor's Choice Awards. He is a teacher at the New York Studio School in Manhattan. He makes awesome hammers, axes, presses alongside Cliff Dufton. He's my friend, and he's here. John, I'm so happy you're here. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Was that too much for you? That was a lot. That hey, Rick and Jesse, that's how you lead a guy in. Yeah, really. So, so John, how did you get into? I've known you a while, and you're my buddy. How did you get into blacksmithing? What or metalwork? Uh, I, back in college, studying sculpture. Well, I wasn't studying sculpture. I was making sculpture. Right. But then, uh, you know, you go through various mediums, and then we got to steel, and that seemed to speak to me. Um, but at a certain point, there's only so much you can do bending and twisting. You want right. to add volume and really move the metal around. So I got more into forging and, uh, it kind of took off from there. What was your first experience with blacksmithing and who did you kind of learn from that, that you I mean, when I went to college, there was no blacksmithing. There wasn't even an anvil. It was all wet welding. And like you said, there was like torches and stuff like that. Yeah. We, we had, a. Uh, there was an anvil, and I think in the professor, he was a, a metal sculptor. I think we only had one one sculpture professor, which was weird, but he, uh, you know, he was into it, and like, it was me and a couple other guys who were into, were getting into whatever, doing metal stuff, and uh, he was willing to spring, you know, use some of the budget to buy a forge, and, you know, a handful of tongs, and just random shit that we needed, and, uh, he he brought us to uh, I think there's like a historic village in Cooperstown, New York. Right. I don't know, but he he brought us there and was you know we were playing around um, with some of that. But uh, I actually I took a class. My first real intro was one of the few classes I actually took was at uh, the New England School of Metalwork with uh, Elizabeth Brim, who's a uh, she teaches she, she might be a program head or something down at Penland. Um, She's awesome. She does. She does uh, like this inflation thing with sheet metal. You ever see that? Oh it's like yeah, he, uh, that's what uh, that's what Jeff Coons does. Where he he'll he'll with aluminum. Those, all those all those those uh, like like the, those aluminum the balloon dogs. Dog. The balloon dogs yeah. are all inflation. Yeah, that's cool. I think Vivian Beer does Beer, Beers does that too. She's yeah, a teacher down at Penland. She she does that inflation thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean Elizabeth Brim was maybe the. I don't know. I don't know if she started it. Actually, I they they use a, a similar technique to like bust up uh, rocks and quarries. Yeah. But I think they shoot. They basically slide in two sheets of metal that are welded together and shoot in water. And oh, it, really? And it blows out like um, a uh, piece of rock. 
because so what we're talking about is if you look up um, Jeff Koons, he does these sculptures of these these giant balloon animals. And I was always under the impression they were made out of aluminum. And what you do is you have, like John just said, you have two pieces of metal, you weld all the sides around, and then you actually put on, you weld on like a like a, a, a nozzle. So you can yeah. either inflate it with air or water, and then it does the same thing as a water balloon would do. And then they kind of cut away from where the all the welds are. Yeah. I was doing that. I did a lot of stuff with that technique, which is when I was in college, huh. like folding sheet metal and welding it and trying like instead of just using two pieces like actually almost treating it like origami and welding oh, yeah. all the seams so then when i inflated it it would you know whatever inflate into some weird shape um it, it was it was weird but uh i did i took that class at new England school of metalwork and then i kind of like got got the gist of it in like a day right and uh then well uh, elizabeth brim was like well why don't you try like some forging right and she got me started and then ragged on me. If you look her up, she's like <laughs> Why'd she rag an on older you? woman. All she's right, like fine. 60, 70. Okay. And she's like, I'm like, my, my hands hurt. I can't hold this. My, I'm getting blisters on my hands. You at least said that to her? I was just like, man, this is hard. She's like, yeah, suck it up. <laughs> I was just like, she's she's tough. She's And she's a sweetheart. She's awesome. Um, so that kind of set me on that, that little path. And then uh, I kind of just kept forging. So then you started. So that that's you. So you took those sculpture classes, and then what got you into kind of? I mean, you're right now. I mean, you don't care what you think. You're known for you're known for not only you got your MFA in sculpture, and then you also make. I mean, you. I, I talk about you all the time because I mean I love your hammers, and your axes. Um, how did you get into tool making? That's mostly out of necessity. Um, you know, a lot of stuff you can't buy. Right. Um, you know, at Home Depot, right? You can't a lot of things you can't even buy at Blacksmith Depot. Um, you know, they some of these specialty hammers, different you know drifts and punches and odd, odd shapes that you might need. Um, a lot of that came out of you know the sculpture. You know, you need a tool, so you have to make it. Right. Um, you know, you, I did a lot of sheet metal work, like sheet metal forming. Um. And you you just need like a different stake, or yeah. you need like a little punch to like make this divot. That, that is that is one thing that's very interesting because now that there is much more need for blacksmithing and bladesmithing and stuff like that, it's hard for these companies to de- to decide what's valuable to make in terms of a company. Yeah, like the drifts. Like if you go to one of these places, you know they'll sell drifts, but not necessarily exactly. You know every hammer has a different size drift and a different size punch. So it would be, it's hard for a lot of these companies to you know, sell, you know, products that not necessarily everybody's going to make. Well, even, you know, a three-eighths drift, you know, you, you might have a three-eighths drift that you're going to pass through like a quarter-inch flat bar, or you might need a three-eighths hole in a one-inch, you know, piece of square bar for like a, a railing or something. Right. You know, that you're not necessarily going to use the same drift because you're passing through so much more material. Right. So now you need two three-eighths drifts but like so now so now blacksmith depot has to carry the same diameter drift but you know a a variety of lengths it's just it doesn't make any sense right right so i mean that is one of the best parts about being a blacksmith is being able to make your own tools how did you start getting into making hammers especially because i mean your hammers i love your well i you know hammers are fun (laughs) well all right that's your answer you know hammers are awesome did you Uh, take any classes or i had made a couple but like just really horrible 
you know, horrible attempts and most, a lot of modifications to, to hammers, um, you know, punching a hole that big was like crazy to do by hand, right. even though I eventually started to, um, you know, you buy, you get like a cheapo hammer, you can modify it either, you know, anneal it and forge it right. or just grind away, grind, you know, grind, like cut in I need a right angle, like I take a cutting disc to it and make right. it a right angle peen. Right. Um, or, you know, diagonal peen. Um, I, uh, took a class from Pat Quinn up in, uh, Adirondack Folk School. I think I've only taken like three workshops in my life. Right. So that was the second one right. <laughs> that I mentioned. And then, uh, he, you know, I, I got like a, you know, crash course sort of from him. Um, and we popped, I popped over to, uh, Center for Metal Arts when he was here in New York, uh, a few times and just like, you know, just hung out and pick his brain. And then that's uh, where I met you because I was coming through and you guys were doing that Jake James class. That was workshop that, number three. Workshop and number that was three. It. And that's where I met you. I met Alec and I met all those guys. Yeah, that was fun. Alec Steele was there. Who else was there? Uh, that's where I met you for sure. And a lot, then, just all, all the all the top all the top guys. All the top guys. All the there top guys. All the top guys. There you go. So it's fascinating to me when I think about you know the the idea of you know you, you know necessity. It kind of it kind of folds into your you know the, it kind of folds into your history in terms of you know how you got involved with making presses. So so you know I don't think a lot of people I don't think a lot of people know, but you and Cliff Dufton make amazing hydraulic presses and i wonder if she's going to backtrack a little bit and how did you meet cliff i mean you guys are synonymous as being like a team which is <laughs> well the thing yeah. is this is funny and, and for me is you know i've learned about i've i really did no my history as a blacksmith <clears throat> has very little team striking at all when the 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 when i was working you know and we were teaching getting classes with uri hoffy there was no team striking, and actually, I had to strike for him, and he threw me off. I mean, he yelled at me when I struck for him two times. He threw me off because we—I had no experience with it. So I really learned about <clears throat> team striking, hanging out with you and Cliff. So it is interesting because it's not just this partnership of you guys are just friends, but when you guys strike together, there is definitely this rhythm that you guys have been doing it before. So how did you meet Cliff? Um, I I lived in Texas briefly, and really? I had a uh, you know I had a shop down there. For like I only lived for like two two years, year and a half maybe. We're in Texas, Austin, huh? And and Very I, hip. I didn't even know that uh, the Austin Community College had like an awesome blacksmithing welding huh. program. Like they had that mobile loaves, uh, no community idea. forge. The uh, ACC has like an awesome welding program and blacksmithing, um, and it, it's an incredible facility. And I didn't even know it was there, like until years later when I didn't even live there anymore. Hmm. Which uh, if if I did know, I probably wouldn't have moved back. Right. Um, I kind of didn't like Texas, but all right, it's too hot. All right, all right, it's too, it's too hot. That's fine. It's too hot. Too hot. You hear that? Yeah, too Texas. Hot. Come on, man. All right. So so where did you? Um, so when I moved back, I I I just I needed a place to a shop really, and uh, I went. I started to go to the Art Student League, just they because they have an awesome welding. And that's in Manhattan. Uh, metal shop really in Manhattan. And my mom was like, "Why don't you try here?" Why don't you go here? Take some. So classes. she found she found it for you. Your mom found you. Yeah, Cliff? yeah. My mom found Cliff for me. Wow. And uh, you know, I just happened. It was like you know, Cliff and I, you know, we knew each other. I started taking Cliff's class, or I joined his class, and then um, I got a job, at, you know, at a different art school in Manhattan. So and then I left, and then 
you know, we, whatever, we're in contact, but then I think a few years ago, we, we maybe did a sculpture job. We built a big sculpture for some lady and then we started, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm making these hammers. Like you want to make a hammer? And we made one in his basement in, in on the Upper West Side. And uh, we kind of, you know, we did it by striking. And, you know, we were looking, looking at these presses. And Cliff's like, I could build that. So he built one. He built uh, the first one, the 16-ton. And then we built a bigger one at my place. And then it kind of snowballed from there. Yeah. But, well, uh, that, that, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because when we were talking earlier about, like, making the things that you need because you can't you know you can't buy them it's hilarious that you've gone to the point where you you needed a press so you decided to build one and i've seen these presses they're i mean they're beautifully built um you and cliff have done an incredible job with them i i don't i've never seen a better looking press i remember i was standing there with jesse and we were both looking at all the welds and all the tooling and all the different dyes and you really kind of thought of everything i mean that's all cliff though he's he's the brains well, then what are you? You're I'm the beauty. I'm the beauty and right. the heart and soul and. Uh, oh, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Outstanding. So now you guys, you guys at your shop. You Cliff's a very good welder. Extraordinary. Well, he's, he's, he's a, yeah. He's a high, he's, high level welder. He's an, for for 135 pounds. He packs a lot <laughs> in. Yeah. I mean, it's like it is. I've always said that Cliff Dufton is probably one of the most talented guys I've ever met. I mean, it is true. Um, yeah, it's annoying. It, you know what? I would say the same thing. It is super annoying. It is super annoying at how good he is at everything he does. Like, he came up here to work on an integral knife, and then when he finished, he sent me a picture. I'm like, I can't make a fucking knife that nice, and this is your first goddamn one. Yeah. God damn you, Cliff Dufton. So, now you started the Modern Forge team with uh, Jesse and me and Dave, I guess, and, and Cliff. And we had a good time, and I guess Rick's part of the Modern Forge team. Shipwright so, Skills. Shipwright Skills. Keith. And Keith. And we uh, we had a good time down at Maker Camp. We got seven gold ribbons, or seven blue ribbons, Editor's Choice. Maker we, Fair. And Maker, what did I say? Maker Camp. Maker, Maker Camp, oh, we on. just got paid. We didn't, get, <laughs> we didn't get any ribbons, we just got paid. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a ribbon in itself. That's a ribbon in itself. So, uh, and hopefully, we'll see what happens. That was a lot of fun. Um what happened was is Cliff and John asked me if I wanted to help them at Maker Camp. Maker Fair. Maker Fair is a big thing in Queens. I've talked about this before, a half a year ago. And they they asked me if I'd help them. And I was like, only if I can get a, a megaphone. And we got a megaphone and we we, uh, we had a good time. That was a lot of fun. And then they went belly up after we got all the goddamn. <laughs> that was the worst part. There was like 90,000 people there. And we were forging in the middle. And it was... There's a lot of smoke and mirrors, people shooting like propane gas and fire out of like tubas and stuff like that. But we were doing, it was really interesting because there were so many people using 3D printers and it was very like tech oriented. And then we were bringing everything back to like blacksmithing <clears throat> and forging stuff like that. And I think people were pretty interested in it. I think they blew their whole budget on ribbons. They blew their whole budget on ribbons. That's right. Yeah. So the funny <laughs> thing is, is like... So what happened was, is we just went in there to have fun, and, and, and it started out because, you know, we do, uh, you know, John has hammer-ins every so often, and I do a little hammer-in here and there, and it's a lot of fun, and, and, and then we just basically brought the hammer into Queens and blew the doors off. So I, I have to thank you for including me in that. That was a lot oh, of fun. Oh, we couldn't have done it without you. Yes, you could have. No, we could have. 100%. It would have been wouldn't, a lot quieter. We wouldn't have, yeah, that's right. We wouldn't have gotten six, six we won't, blue ribbons. Yeah, we wouldn't have. So... Is there anything you'd like to add, or should we go on with the show? Uh, let's go on with the show. All right. Well, hey, man, can I ask you a question? 
Where do you go to get your brace of belts? If you're making hammers or knives or whatever, and you need a brace of belts, go to Combat Abrasives. They have awesome belts. They have different sizes. And if you put in Knife Talk 15, you'll get 15% off on your entire order. And then you save that money on all the little things you want to try out. So go to Combat Abrasives and get yourself, get yourself squared away. Uh, for sure. Um, so the first question comes from Rough Cut Knives. I've asked questions to specifically for blacksmithing and hammers, so hopefully we get to a pile of them. Rough Cut Knives ask, what's the most uh, fun part of blacksmithing? Well, let me read that over again. What's the part of blacksmithing you most enjoy? John? Um, seeing where, you know, how the metal moves, I think, is really interesting. Uh, you know, starting with one piece and seeing what it can end up as. I think, you know, I've, I've been forging a few knives and like, just that, that's a very extreme, uh, uh, movement of the metal. Right. I think, you know, going from, you know, three quarter inch square bar and drawing it out into this like nine inch chef's knife, right. you know, deep heel is like, it's, it's pretty intense. Um, you know, you just hitting stuff with a hammer is fun too. Yeah. I, for me, it's always been the idea that you really can't go backwards and you have to be very decisive in your decision making. You know, that whole idea that strike while the iron's hot is because you have a limited amount of time for the, um, for the steel, before the steel cools down. And I love the idea of having to really prepare yourself for the next heat. And it gets to the point where I really try to focus on exactly what I'm doing in between heats and it, and it kind of takes me away from... You know, I grew up, I was dyslexic, I was really kind of a terrible student, and which is a lot, very similar to a lot of people who get into, you know, metalwork in general. Mm. And for me, it's always been something that kind of like bring, calms, me, calms me down and then makes me focus on, all right, if I want to get to step, you know, C, I got to go properly through A and B to get to C. So that's for me. And then I like the way the, the material feels under the hammer. I like I like the the squishing and the moving and the and, you know being in control of the material that really is. Well, it is a fun puzzle to try and put together to say, you know how how can I get the cleanest, you know indentations into this thing, right? Where I, you know, and I and I can manipulate the metal in such in in these steps, where you know I can go from A to Z and and not have everything get all like muddy, which can happen. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's... You know, and what's also nice is that, like you say, strike with the iron's hot, but like you can always get it hot again. You pull it out, you do this one thing, you can say, "Wait, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to put it back in. I got to like refocus." Right. There is like a limit to how many times you can do that before you completely like burn out, you know, of, everything in all the carbon that's in your steel. Of course. But you can always put it right back in, like sort yourself out, and like take it out again, and, and keep working. But that idea of being completely focused. You know, and being centered, not things aren't, you know, there's no happy mistakes and you're really trying to focus on like, you know, really understanding what's going on and having complete control, I think is a, that's, that's what it, for me. Do you want to ask a question or do you want me to, do you want to read the next question? Sure. This next question is from Holiday Forge. Do you have an overview of the differences in style slash use between Hoffy Hammer, Swedish Pattern, Dog's Head, etc.? What's your opinion? You're a hammer maker. What's your opinion on the, the differences? Um, 
like, like the Swedish and like a dog's head, like, uh, are longer. Right. Like the, a, the faces are are longer out from the hand. The whole body of it, yeah, yeah, is is a longer body, which is nice for um. Like I think the dog's head, dog head has that like forward the 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 weights all pulling down, so it's really nice for planishing. You can see the material because your handle and the cheeks are so so much higher. Right. Um, and the way that it drops, it keeps you flat. Yeah. Um, I I it's hard for me to you know the, the funny thing is about those dog head hammers is I've tried to use them and I've talked to other people who use them. One of the, because I'm used to forging on that. Hoffy style, which is almost is the face is kind of closer to the eye, even the, all the the peens closer to the eye. And what happens is is you're is because it's also the face is so on the wider side, like that rectangular face. Yeah. When you get involved with those dog head hammers, which is so forward, I, I feel like it kind of like when I hit, if I'm not a hundred percent straight. It kind of like sl- it slips off to the side. Like I, I don't feel. I it like it like almost f- like flips in my yeah, hand. Yeah, like rolls. It rolls in my hand. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I guess it takes some getting used to. I don't know. Yeah, it um, takes some getting used to. That's for sure. You know, I, I find maybe if I'm doing like an axe or uh, or a knife, where I'm, I want to do these like more planishing type uh, hits, uh, I find myself wanting to get a longer hammer. Like a longer bodied hammer, oh. right? Like I, you know, most of the hammers I make are a little uh, more huffy, you know, little uh, compact, more robust. Yeah, yeah, they're wide and short. Um, and then I'm like, oh well, you know, I, I want to be able to keep my hand away or keep the body away and see what I'm hitting. Uh, and I go and grab like a longer hammer. Right, right. I, I, I think that you know it's interesting because I'm always looking at. I, I have a, I have too many hammers as you've you you already know but one of the things i, I have like twice to, as many <laughs> uh, you have to, well you've made them all Usually. i haven't made any i've made only I, under i've only made it, any hammer i made here you help me with but i i am interested in how the different hammers are and i know that a lot of american hammer users uh, blacksmiths they like that swedish style um where the 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 cross peen the cross swedish cross peen um, where the 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 peen is long and kind of narrow, and then it's got the <laughs> radius is like almost like a, it's almost like a half inch. It's a very yeah. it's a very very aggressive um, uh, peen. One of the things that I've always kind of hated is I when I first started forging, and I mean I never really forged before unless I before I started doing the Hoffy method. His hammers, the peen is very fat and wide, and the whole point of those cross peens is that the peen is very aggressive. So I try to, to me, it's always very much along the lines of when you think of blacksmithing, think of it like if you have clay, and if you're using your finger, you know, if you're trying to stretch something out, if you use your fingers, you're taking bites, and those bites are what helps you move material on more fast and aggressive, especially we're talking about strike while the iron's hot. But sometimes, if you use a very uh, radius peen, a thin one like a, you know those cross peen hammers, what you, I find that you fall into is you find you fall into um, more choppy, more choppy hits, you know, which is very not necessarily what you want. And I think especially for bladesmiths and who are forging knives, if you don't have a ton of material, if you, I mean, you're you know the the thing is is people use these very aggressive peens. On their on their blades, and they're wondering why they're 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 so choppy, closer to the heel. It's always because you have a very you're using a very very aggressive cross peen, and you might want something a little bit easier. You know, the wider the the fatter the peen, 
you're going to still get that movement um, based on what the cross peen is, but it won't be as deep and aggressive. And I and that's to me is I, I stay away from those very very aggressive peens, cross peens for that reason. I mean, there's you know there's a use for them. A hundred percent. You know, I I use I have uh, you know a million hammers, all different, a lot of different radiuses uh, of of peens and faces for that matter. But um, you know, one of one of these knives, you know, to get in, what do you do the 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 X-ray? Oh yeah, that the, thing. Like the, if you want to get into this like little corner, you can't go in with a big peen. Right. With a fat peen, you you need something a little bit more narrow. Um, if you don't have like a top tool, he's so, talking about the uh, the X-ray style blacksmith knife where you're actually setting in the choil and inside the tang, and then you're exposing this kind of uh, this part that comes 45 degrees from the spine, and then you're making it a rivet. You're making it a little tenon so you can rivet the the tail of your knife onto the onto. This gets a little technical. It's fucking technical, but the bottom line is is for some of those kind of maneuvers it's very hard to have something with a, with a fat peen. Well, even if you if you're like isolating something and you want to get like right up close uh you can get closer with the narrow peen and then move we've been to saying the thicker peen one. too much. Yeah, where's Craig? Where's Craig? Uh, Craig is not here. Craig, yeah. Where's Craig, Craig to talk about our giggling. peen? He's he's giggling while he edits this. Fine. Um so if you could if you could have one oh well, we're going to get to that next. All right, so <laughs> this one next question comes from Summit and C Smithing, and we're gonna he- we'll swing back into all this stuff later. Uh, Jeff has alluded to blacksmith saying that certain techniques are cheating, i.e., drilling a hole versus punching one. I'd love to hear your general thoughts on the merits of both. What do you, what's your opinion on what what's cheating? <clears throat> That's a big thing in the knife making world. There is no cheating, right? Oh. You just do it. All right, Who so cares? do it. All right, so here's the question. I actually blanked out a hammer for us to work on, which I'm super psyched Did you drill the hole? I was thinking about it because sometimes when I punch, I the times I punch, like I punch the hole in my axe, I did not get a clean uh, slug. And I was thinking if I drilled a tiny pilot hole before I p- punched the hole, how would that have helped me? Would that have guided me to a straighter eye hole? And then I thought... If I do that, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to punch the hole before Jod gets here because then he's gonna give me fritz if I pilot hold a thing and I say, "Ah, oh, fuck it, I'm gonna do it correctly with John." There, there are guys who do that. I have who, who do drill a pilot. Yeah, hole. I mean, I have a old one of these one of the old you know blacksmith you know how back or how to forge right blacksmith books like an old famous one. Um, <clears throat> and you know they say, "Oh, drill two holes." And then like chisel out the middle, and then that's your like slot. Oh really? I'm like, well, that's that seems ridiculous. That seems huh? It seems like a lot of work for a blacksmith to do when it takes you like, you know, Cliff and I can punch a hole in a, in one heat. Right. You know, with striking, it's you know, it's not that difficult if you're you know ready to do it. Um, as far as drilling versus punching in in other metal, um, you know, you say all the time like the economy of uh, what is the economy of the material? Economy of your time. I mean, well, no, of the act of the material it's, itself. So, you could if you punch a, you know, a, a quarter inch hole, then you can drift it to three eighths, and you're right. but you've only removed uh, a quarter inch of material rather than if you just drilled it straight to the size that you're doing. Right. So oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're saving the metal. Uh, you know, if it's a tool steel, if it's Damascus, if you can punch the hole, like great, you're you're saving yourself material rather than removing all of the material. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, 100%. When I do 
if I do if I do a set of sometimes for me when I do the bottle openers and then I'll put them on our website. There's no like, I mean, if I were to punch every single one, if I did like if I'm doing a set of 25 or something, if I punched the 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 original hole, the you know the quarter inch hole, every single time, it'll take me a pile of heats. But if I can just kind of drop drill them out it saves me a ton of time and i'm not losing material so i'm not it's the same amount of material yeah, for the most you know part. and that's that's something that's just like whatever it's a bottle opener who cares um but if you're dealing with like tool steel or something that you might want to um like a hammer you know i don't want to take out that much material before i drift it like we'll punch right. a very small hole so you're losing like nothing almost right um it, you know, it, there's no cheating. Well, Just, it's like do what you got to do. You know, it's, it's there's a lot of guys who you know knife makers too who get very uh, you know proprietary on well you did this and this is the right way and that's the right way. We talk about this on our podcast all the time because there's you know everyone has a different ver- variety of of opinions in regards to what's correct and what's not correct. And I think that it is interesting that especially with blacksmiths i mean you know the funny thing is is like believe it or not every ladies and germs when people are looking at your instagram or blacksmith stuff you can tell a lot about you can tell a lot of how it was built by just the way it looks for guys who forge you know i even look at old pictures of like my bottle openers and i know that they're on the rough side you know i know where i i know what i did wrong i know i can almost see where the hits i miss my miss hits are and I and I think that it gets to the point where it's like, what's your bottom your bottom goal? I mean, if you're trying to sell stuff, you know, a lot of people, you know, no one ever said, no, no, you know, Nick Wheeler is not going to say, I didn't buy this hammer from Jake Farum because he punched the hole. He didn't give a fuck. He wants to make sure that the hammer's good. So if you can figure out ways in which to, um, you know, do things efficiently, so you're not saying, well, why is this? Why does this hammer cost so much? Why does this hammer cost five hundred dollars? I was like, well, I had to drift the hole. I had to punch the hole by hand. That that's what costs so much. I don't care. If, I don't have care if you did that or not. I wanted to make sure it works. I think that we have a little. We're a little bit too. You know. I, I the really and we say this a lot too is the more important thing is just don't lie. Yeah. You know. I mean, just don't lie. You know. We people. Some people know what you're doing. And there's also. I know that there's a lot of knife makers who um, they texture. They texture the. The first, the first half between the spine and the blade, and they texture it with a ball peen hammer, and then, then the, they're able to kind of like, you know, make this faux texture. And I hear from people saying, "Well, that is even forged. You just hit it with a ball peen hammer." Look, you just just do what you got to do. Well, it's not forged. It is. Well, that's the other thing. <laughs> it's textured. There's a, that's there you go. Now we're getting to the the point, and I think it's far more important to be very honest. I mean, you don't have to like if you put if you make a hammer. You don't have to say in the bottom under in parentheses, by the way, I drilled this hole. I mean, it's just like, you know, there are, I mean, you don't have to be a mental patient. Yeah. <clears throat> all right. I'll take this one and then you do the next one. All right. The next one comes from TW Blades. I've been looking into hydraulic presses for use in making things like Damascus and integral knives. I don't have three to five grand laying around. But I have seen some people convert hydraulic wood splitters into sh- small shop presses. What are your thoughts on this? Love the show. Keep up the good work. Now, I had, we had this question before, but I thought it would be good to, to, to hear from you about hydraulic presses. If somebody doesn't have a pile of money for a hydraulic press, what would you do? Um, I, I don't think I would use a log splitter. Why? Because it's a log splitter, not a <laughs> not yeah. a forging press. Yes, yes, okay. Um, but you could modify <clears throat> the, the you could modify it, right? I I guess. So what would you do? 
if you're if you're knife making, I don't think you need one. A press. I don't think. Well, you, it, you obviously you could use it. Like yeah, you know, of course, use it, of course. But to make knives, you don't need a press. You but don't to make Damascus, need anything. To make Damascus, sure, yes, you you, you need it. Um, I think a log splitter doesn't move uh, fast enough. I don't know exactly what the you know inches per second it is, ah. but uh, in general, a hydraulic like a forging press will move a little bit faster, so you'll get more out of that heat. Because uh, the dies, the dies will suck heat out. It's not like a power hammer. The reason a power hammer is great is because it's moving so fast, and it actually is almost put it's putting heat back into the material. Like kinetic energy, it's just like pop, 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 pop. Right. Uh, so you lose less heat with the hydraulic press. The second the dies touch, it's like squish, and then it, like you lose it. I that you know it's interesting you say that because I was talking to Cliff and he showed me when you guys were doing some Damascus, he was forging out. Um, the Damascus billet, and he noticed. Even he was saying, he's like, "Well, we preheat the flat dies because we wanted to make sure that it wasn't sucking out the material." And yeah. when he was actually flattening it, the the top die would suck the heat out of the top layer of the Damascus, and the top layer wasn't wasn't squishing as well as the stuff in the middle. And that's interesting that you say that. That is one of the big things, the difference between a power hammer and a, and a hydraulic press. Yeah, right? I mean, I don't know what he showed which video, but like. The more surface contact there is, uh, the more heat obviously is going to get sucked out. So we have these like big, massive like flat dies. They're like I think like six by three or something like wow. that, and they're, they're huge and they're great because you put a whole hammer under it and you you can squish it flat. But that's a lot of surface to be touching the hot piece of metal. So that's and it just sucks the heat right out of it. Um, when we were drawing it out, you use a smaller die, so it's it's touching less of the material, but it's still moving a lot of it. Right. Um, That's a great point. The the log splitter thing. I mean, there. You know, you can build it yourself. That you can go online. There's like a man. There's you know one of these guys. He made a manual, um, and it's a really good way to get started. Um, it's not super complex. I mean, I have Cliff. The brains. I mean, you. you I've really... got an external hard drive over here with yeah. Cliff, um, so you know I'm I'm spoiled, but uh, you know people build them all the time. Um, you know, I, even to make Damascus, I don't know if you actually need it. I mean, you couldn't do like a monster billet, but you could certainly weld together, you know, a small stack just by hand. Yeah, just get a dude down the street and give him a sledgehammer. Yeah. Buy him a couple beers. A sledgehammer is cheaper. Right. Yeah, and a six pack, and, a six pack. and you got a guy. That's all you need. Is that what all you need? Yeah. All right. You want to read the next one? Uh, how thick should the? This is from Smoky Crow Forge. How thick should the cheeks be for a hammer? Also, maybe a rundown of the steps in which order and why to forge one. How to forge one? How do you forge it? How do you forge a hammer? Why. How do you forge one? <laughs> uh. Refer to the uh, Jeff Fader watercolor notes. Oh yeah, I did the notes a long time ago, uh, but I, you know, I don't even know if that works. You know, you don't. A lot of the hammers I I did uh, before I had the press or a striker. I just did by myself. But you could just punch a hole and then hammer the cheeks flat, just on the anvil. Ha- hammer the cheeks flat up and down. So from the top of the to the top of the eye and the bottom of the eye. Well, from the middle of the hammer, uh, from the middle of the cheek to uh the outside like up the drift one of the things that that's that's the most important thing that i think a lot of people don't realize and this is something i learned from you guys is when you punch the hole in a hammer 
and then you start to drift it. Your drift is your drift is um, it's like a it's like a cone. It isn't it isn't a straight it isn't a straight cylinder that you fit in and then you just for you want to have you you put it in and then it tapers to the, uh, a more narrow at the tip. So when you when you have it in the middle of the eye, you're creating that hourglass. So you're putting in the the you're putting in the the drift, and you're forging from the middle down, and then you're flipping it around and you're forging it from the middle down. So you're spreading the cheeks from the middle down um, the eye. Yeah, if you hit the far if you hit the far side, you close the hole because there's right. nothing there supporting it. Right. The way the drift is. Right. Um, so that's the most important. The most important part is the eye. And the reason why is because when you put the handle, and we'll probably talk about that yeah. later, but the handle needs to be kind of flared like an hourglass so it doesn't fly off the handle. I've never, ever seen a, exactly. handle, a hammer fly off a handle. Uh, yeah, no. It, they break, usually break underneath the thing. I mean, so some, you, they'll come loose, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. All right, so you punch the hole, then you set your whatever your faces are going to be. Yeah. Right? And then what is there is there a ratio of how much material you I mean that's the reason why Not really. I mean there's, you know, a million different hammer styles, so it depends on what you're going for. Um like a cross peen I'll punch like an eighth of an inch off center because then the peen will be the short side and that and it evens out. That's what I was going to ask you because we're going to do a rounding hammer. Would you make the eye um, and a lot and obviously it doesn't really make a whole lot of difference, but if you were to to center your eye on the hammer what would be would be for a rounding hammer? If both sides are the same, a bunch yeah. of mass, I would imagine that in the middle, if you if you punch the hole in the middle of the hammer, that would make sense. But if you're doing a cross peen hammer, you're 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 oversized. You're you're moving the center punch. How? Uh, I an eighth of an inch off center. Eighth and eighth of an inch off center. And then the short side becomes the peen. And the reason why, I mean, in terms of the cheeks, is the most important part is you're punching. If you're punching, you know, this is a blacksmithing thing. If you're punching the material, you're not losing the material. So you that cheek material has to go somewhere. As opposed to if you do those German style hammers, the German style hammers are more. Um, there's the there's the the cheeks don't move at all. The cheeks are yeah you know, the the most dramatic hammer you see where the cheeks are, you know, the Swedish hammers are the ones where you see um, the, 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 the faces of the of the hammers are kind of more tapered towards the cheeks. But I mean, like the German style hammers, they don't, they don't touch the cheeks. Yeah. I mean, if you want to get fiddly like that. Yeah, let's that, get fiddly. The, so hammers like that or like a traditional sledgehammer where there's no cheeks, um, you punch round, you'd punch a round hole and then, and uh, when you flatten it back out, then you it becomes an oval, so you basically aren't raising ah, the cheeks whatsoever. That makes a ton of sense. So so you're punching it. That, ah, now I understand. So if if you're creating you're creating the the oval, so it doesn't spin around. The handle doesn't spin around in the in the eye. Yeah, I didn't see. I never even realized that. Um, so you'd you'd flatten it without a drift in it. Yeah, yeah. So you punch the hole round, and then you flatten it, and that creates that oval. Is yeah. that very similar to an axe, right? How you, you you'd you're, you're forging, would but you're do forging a, down you're you're forging down the cheeks in a manner that makes the 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 eye kind of a little bit more ovular. Uh, I'll, we punch an axe like a rectangle, so the slot that comes out of that is is a rectangular slot because oh. it's it's longer. It's still thin, but then it's a you know the eye is a a, a longer eye than a hammer would. 
So you want to make sure place. that you have enough material that, that, that you're not, you know, it's not too thin on the walls of the hammer. Like if you, you don't want to drill out an inch and a half. A full. lot of the axes we do are the same. We use the same punch as a, as a hammer. Oh, really? Yeah. And then you just have different, your drift is going to be closer to what the, the face of the, the, the what Then the, we use an axe drift and then, you know, that'll. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of tools, a lot of things. It's a, well, that's, yeah. That's a, um, as, as far as how thick um, the cheek should be. I don't know. He shrugged, he shrugged his shoulders. You know, yeah. It, if you you look at some of these old, like I have a, 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 what is it, a Stanley like plum cross peen or whatever, and it, it's like they're they're like paper thin. I like can't even believe how they, you know, these these companies get away with it. Um, I love the hammer, but it's probably like an eighth of an inch to maybe three, you know, a quarter inch thick. Actually, that's it. That might even be generous. Um, some of my, some of the bigger hammers are, are, are thick. It depends on the size. There you like go. You wouldn't want a sledgehammer with a quarter inch cheek like that. That's would be uh, very weak. That's a good point. Cause a lot, you know, that's the funny thing about these, a lot of hammers is people think that you need a ton. I mean, it all depends on what you're doing. Like a sledgehammer where you're doing tons of striking, you need to have make sure you have a lot of material. All right. I'm going to hop down to. Ebon Blade Customs. For the ham- uh, if you were on a deserted island and could only have one hammer to forge your way off of it with, what kind of hammer would you pick? Which style and that ha- would have the most utility for you? So, what's your? Would you have one hammer. You're only allowed one hammer. You don't have to be on a deserted island. You can just be. You're only allowed one hammer. What would it be? I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> forge my way off the island. Yeah, I like with a for- hammer. <laughs> um, I I probably would. I guess do a cross peen. What size? Maybe three pounds. Three pounds. You know, I would have said, I would have said two years ago, I would have said I would have a Hoffy hammer. I, I like a three pound Hoffy hammer. But now, since I've been hanging out with you guys and really understanding, and I actually did an episode where we covered hammers a lot, and I asked a lot of people different what their different styles were. Um, I was I was interested in what Jake Farham had told me that he likes a rounding hammer because there's a I guess it's it's the Brian Brazil technique yeah of if you have a if you have a rectangular faced uh, ha- forging face on your hammer you actually can use the corner one side or one corner of the face as your cross peen so you can you get the same technique from using the side of that hammer as you would if you were using a cross peen and I actually. My favorite hammer is the hammer I made, you made for me. We were I was at your shop and you made me. It was a square face hammer, a square face rounding hammer. It's three pounds. It's a square face rounding hammer, and then the rounding part was, was, was you know was it complemented my it complemented the um, the horn on one of my anvils, which was is I think that one of the things that people don't realize is. When you're dealing with, you know, there's so many different sizes of rounding hammers and styles of rounding hammers. It is good to have some of your rounding hammers the same radius as your horn because then you can do operations where you're, you know, the whole idea of hitting something with uh, with the steel is whatever you're hitting with the hammer, that whatever your whatever part you're hitting the anvil on, you're is you're, you're complementing it. So if you have a rounding hammer with the same radius and profile, rounded profile as your horn. You're going to be able to make the same impression to the steel as you would normally. So I would have said two years ago I would have said a three-pound half hammer, but now I would say a three-pound 
square face rounding hammer from Sunset Forge. What's funny, I think, is when you asked me that, I, I think I said a three-pound rounding hammer. Yeah, yeah, you did. And now I'm like a cross bean. No, I like a cross bean. Well, I, you know, I, especially for, you know, the, the kind of forging I do now, the, when I was learning how to do, use uh, cross bean hammers, the only time we were using the cross bean hammers, and we were doing traditional kind of blacksmithing stuff. We weren't doing, we weren't making knives. We weren't making a lot of stuff. The times we were using the actual cross peen was when we were doing stuff like fishtails and we were doing stuff where we had to flare out like um those you know like those um those kinds of those leaves where you're actually you need to kind of fishtail out and flare the material out yeah. so it's you're, you're making a fantail that was really the only time because a good hammer anyway isn't flat like you don't want the face of your your hammer to be flat because you want it to be slightly crowned and then that is kind of working like a rounding hammer except for a rounding hammer is a little bit more pronounced but i'm finding myself not using especially when i'm forging knives i'm finding myself not using cross peens to for to bring the heel down because i think i find that some of them are too aggressive and i like the way a rounding hammer moves everything outward from the radius as opposed to directionally i hate it when things get i hate it when well and you can use it like choppy. you know on the corner like you're saying to make it go in a direction right. even if it's a round rounded round blah, 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 round head yeah, round face rounding hammer um you, not, as opposed to a square face like you can still use those edges jay hall bra wants bra jay hall bra wants to bra. know what's your favorite weight of a hammer bra 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 jay hall bra i mean a lot of these things all depend on what you're well, you know you, what what am i forging what, so like if i'm doing a knife there's no i don't think you need a three pound hammer to, to forge a knife because you know the, depends on the kind of knife if you're doing an integral knife and you have to move that if you have to if right. you have to pull the material down to make the bolster you can't a one pound hammer ain't gonna do it a one pound pa- a one hound ha- yeah. one pound hammer a one pound hammer it's not gonna do sh- not like gonna anything. Do anything you know that that's for that's for uh you know fiddly stuff yeah like if you want to just like be tapping things around right um planishing you know sometimes you want to you need that heavy hammer to 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 make that isolation, you need to get that one good hit exactly where you want it. But like you're not you're not planishing out a blade with a three pound hammer. All right, so you're forging in your are. shop and you're fooling around. What weight hammer are you pu- pulling up? You well, know, if I'm if I'm gonna like draw out a taper, yeah, maybe three pound is kind of my general right my general area. I think the older I get, the lighter I like a hammer. Yeah. It's that's the weird part is I actually, I've been fooling around with the two pound and two and a half pound hammers and I don't really forge giant stuff. I have a power hammer. So like if I have to like forge down a long tape or something like that, I'm not really going to do it by hand. Um, actually I'm, um, when I do the tongs for this tong making class, um, I actually make everyone forge the top, the, the tong, the brains out by hand it's good to have th- a three-pound hammer is a good weight to have. I've I have hammers that are a little bit above, but I generally go between three pounds and two and a half pounds. That's what I. I mean, I either most of the time I think I either use something really heavy, like almost five pounds, f- like four four and three quarter five pound. Like I have a big old cross peen, right? Yeah, um, girl. That I just you know slam shit around with, or I go on the lighter you side. You hear that? He's slamming shit around with his cross peen. That's right. Next question comes from. Onar, uh, on, Onoron Ironworks. 
Round hammer handles or octagon? What's your opinion on your handles? How do you do your handles? What do you like in your handles? Uh, I think they're like oval, I guess. Yeah. I mean, round is like a dowel, which is ridiculous. So no. <laughs> well, um, you'd be surprised. Octagons I've seen, I've seen are. That. Uh, octagons look nice, but I think they're uncomfortable to have those the facets there. Too pronounced. Yeah, I mean, I I start with an octagon, but then I you know then I knock off the corners, and then it ends up more of an oval. Right. I started out with like an oval, and then I saw back in the day I saw Fred Christ. Uh, made his own hammers, and he had a his he had a faceted handle, an octagon shape. And I tried it out, and I thought, Jesus, this is a, this is cool because it really does prevent you your it from slipping in your hand. Um, but then I started to realize that too too much like octagons, if they're too they kind of they don't really benefit as much, and they hurt your hand. So I started to ease off the octagons. I had, I had all my handles were octagons, and then I eased all those those corners because it just they weren't unnecessary and it just like kind of hurt a little bit i'm starting to find myself having more like an uh like a rectangular kind of oval handle for my hands and it's also if i'm not forging for a long time i get you know my hands get super blistered anyway so yeah. like sometimes the octagon will make it a little bit more blistery but i'm kind of like in the middle between uh octagon and not octagon i mean an oval and the rectangle are, are pretty similar it's just the uh you know, I, I guess I have like big hands, so I want to have like a little bit more mass in the, uh, you know, in the on the outside faces, right? Um, so I want to be able to feel it. Like some of these skinny handles, uh, like end up hurting more, right? Because you're just like trying to hold on to something, anything, so the hammer doesn't fly out of your hand, right? What do you do to when you're making your ha- hammers? <clears throat> how do you how do you make your handles? I I blank them on a table saw to. Uh, like an octagon, you know, rectangular octagon. Um, and then I uh, use like a Shinto rasp and a... Uh, so what's a Shinto and rasp? And a spoke shave. Uh, Shinto rasp is, it's basically a bunch of bandsaw blades or like like a hacksaw blades yeah. that are like riveted together. One side spread is... spread out. Yeah, they're spread out. So there's, you know, there's room for uh, the sawdust or material to to get out they're actually super handy for all sorts of things i I have all the sculpture students go buy them because you can you can carve foam you can you got me to plaster you can do wood you can do anything and it's great and it doesn't really get clogged and and once it starts to get clogged it's so super easy to unclog it with just like a screwdriver you just poke poke the shit right through so you use the shinto rasp and then you Um, use some sandpaper well then i use a spoke shave oh spoke shave um just to maybe clean it up because a nice sharp spoke shave can get almost a perfectly finished uh, surface, right? And then, yeah, I'll just hit it with a little sandpaper. What kind of sandpaper do you use? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. We- you know what you should do? <laughs> you should use Rhinoet from Indasi USA. Rhinoet is really great sandpaper. It's totally different from a lot of these sandpapers that are used for plaster or whatever like that. Um, if you go to Texas Farrier Supply and put in Knife Talk 10, you get yourself some Rhino Wet from Indas USA. You'll appreciate it. And when you're making your hammer handles, you know what you can do is use that Rhino Wet and get yourself really fast, beautiful work. Rhino Wet from Indas USA. Go to Texas Farrier Supply, Knife Talk 10. There we have it. One thing I will say about the handles, though, too, is uh, I don't go crazy sanding it to like this super high 
grit finish. Uh, I wanted I wanted to have grit to it. Right. So I probably I maybe won't even go past like eighty or one twenty. Oh really? Like uh, you know I want to feel the wood. If I I've made some that are like you know I brought up higher whatever two twenty four hundred and like they're slippery. You don't want it to be slippery. You want it, you want to have grip. Right. So leaving it a little rough, uh, I think is better. You leave it to, you leave it at eighty. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> you didn't even notice. I you know what I'm very guilty of any maybe hammer, higher I don't know any hammer I get I always I, I always fuck it up anyway I always change it completely. <clears throat> okay, the next question comes from a strange event. Hey guys, I have a question for you. I've been using a cold chisel to start holes on bottle openers and drift them from there. But the chiv- the chisel leaves pinched ends that look nasty. Is there a better way to start holes or slots on thinner material? Thanks for the motivation in the shop, guys. So so basically, I understand what he's saying. So if you use a cold chisel to cut your hole for um, for a bottle opener, you're not really you're, there's no slug whatsoever. So what happens is is when you start to spread it out, those two ends where the chisel are will leave a you know very tight, nasty uh, end that you might not normally want. So what should he do? Uh, so for punching holes in material, let's say under half inch, the punch face is, is like flat. Right. Because you really you'll just bottom out any right, so, edge. Uh, just so, so we're clear, the, what he's talking about are small punches are not like a center punch. Yeah. This guy's using a cold chisel, but we're talking about are these flat-faced punches. So we would want the same uh, uh, shape of a chisel as the the cold chisel, but the cold chisel has that chisel grind, like the 45 degrees. Right. You want that to be flat. Right. Just a completely flat punch, and then you'll be able to punch through, and then you'll get a slug. So what a punch is, for that small material, like a quarter, you can get quarter-inch punches, you can get, or you can make them, yeah. or uh, three-eighths-inch punches. It's a round punch that the bottom diameter is the size that you're looking for. Now, when they do the face, sometimes the face isn't exactly 90 degrees from the center of the chisel, or the, for the punch. It's at an angle. And what happens is, is when you punch, you're indenting in that, that size flipping it over and as it cools you put it back down and because it's at a slight angle it cuts the steel kind of like paper like a scissors cuts and then you pop out that hole as it's getting cold you don't want to punch while it's red hot you don't want to do the finished punch to knock the slug out when it's red hot because it's just going to go back and forth like chewing gum what you want is you want it to be slightly cooler and so if you start off with the punch off the hammer off the anvil you're gonna draw out a little bit of the steel, a lot, a little bit of the heat from the from the piece originally, because it's gonna be sitting on your anvil, and then you flip it over, and then you go back and you go back to finish off that punch. You'll be able to shear the slug out completely. So my, my punches for smaller stock like that are flat faced, and then have a fairly sharp edge, like a ninety degree edge. Right. You want that's the other thing. You want it to be a very sharp face because that the sharp the edge that's all gonna the way do around, the cutting for you. That's gonna be doing the cutting. Or the shearing. Yeah. Whatever. I don't use the chisels for the only time I use I, I know what he's doing. I've seen people use chisels to punch out that slot. Um, the other thing you can do is if you're if you're dead set on using the chisel is you really have to give yourself a lot of material, leave a lot of material so you can kind of round it off. 
And one time, well, some one things that I what if on the front, the top part of the bottle opener, you can get it on the horn. The bottom part of the bottle opener, where your tab is going to be, if there's that weirdness, one thing I do with bottle openers is I always keep my eye really tight on that little part where the tab is going to be because if it's not completely flat, it'll you you can't punch a nice tab. So what I'll do is I'll bring. Let's just say I punch the hole, I oversize the hole, and I'm still have I still have that 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 little crease from whatever, let's say from the chisel, I'll actually cool down the body of the bottle opener, put it on the horn so the body of the bottle opener is facing up, and then I'll hit with the hammer, I'll hit the bottom, I'll hit the body of the bottle opener, and then it'll, it'll kind of put that hole on the bottom where the tab is, where it's supposed to be. That was so long. Do you understand what I'm saying? I do. And that is what I would do. All right. So that's, oh, man. That was, John, you, you didn't even bail me out on that one. That one was like, oh, my God. I hope that made sense. I knew you had it. I knew you had well, it. Well, fine. All right. So this one comes from Sheffield Forge. Can you stabilize hammer handles, and would it help or hurt? What do you think about stabilizing hammer I, handles? Um, I've been looking into stabilizing equipment, and uh, one of the things Cliff and I were scheming or thinking about uh, were getting a uh, tank that was big enough to take a hammer handle, huh. sized hammer handle, axe handle. Um, so we've never done it, but we're thinking about it. What would be the benefit? Who knows? Because, I, I mean, see, you know, hammers in general. My my thought is that it would be brittle and maybe would break easier. You know, I don't really know what, what the stabilizing does to the, to it, like, structurally. Like, you know? Well, it, like yeah. the integrity of the wood, like is it wood well, anymore? Or, you know, well, you're taking away a little bit of you know the whole idea of you know stabilizing wood for you know knife handles and stuff is you're pulling out all the air and replacing the air with the resin, so it becomes more is you're unable to there's you're on it's unable to you know pull in moisture right. from the air or from water, and and the idea is so because it's not going to warp, but I would imagine that you want a little bit of shock. Right. You want a little bit of resistance and shock and flexibility right. in your The second handles. you hit something, is it going to like shoot right up your elbow? You don't want, yeah. <laughs> like, but also, like, you want it to flex a little bit, I think. Right. You want it to be absorbed. I mean, that's the reason why the hammer handles are made out of wood, because you want them to absorb right. some of the impact. So I just, I don't I don't know the, the value. And the other thing is, is no offense, but hammers aren't that expensive. No. And the reason why is because, I mean, that's part of the reason is you're supposed to knock these hammer, the handles out quick. So I just don't see. I'm not sure. Well, I, I mean, see you the break handles on a good day. Well, you break handles on a. I you break, break handles, handles a lot. I break handles all the time. You break handles a lot, but that's because you're a monster. I've never heard. I've never. I've never seen anyone break more handles than you. Actually, I'll tell you a funny story. So the first time I was in a, uh, I was when I was at the Center for Mental Arts, and I was going to take the Hoffy class. I'd never met him before, and they put me in to take the class. And then one of the guys, they were trying to like give me a little fritz, and they said, "Whatever you do, don't break a hand. The handle." And I'm like, "How am I going to break the handle?" Well, we were using all these top tools and, you know, either a fork or, a, you know, a hot, hot cut off or whatever. And people were constantly missing the hammer and then they were hitting below. Yeah. Below, they were hitting below the hammer. So they were actually making all these cracks and cuts and dents and bruises underneath the hammerhead. And we were, and it's because we just were, were, were hitting hard. He's screaming at us. We're hitting hard, and we're mishitting, and we're, we're we were knocking the handles off. We were breaking the the wood off underneath the hammer. 
So don't do that. I, 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 it, it, it interests me. I'm fascinated. I thought you were going to say, why would you do that? There, there is a why would you do that element to it. Um, why would you do that? <sighs> I don't All know. Right, there you go. You want to be fancy. You want to be fancy. I want to I, I get some uh, black palm and make a handle out of it. Dude. That's gonna be a fancy schmancy. Yeah, then hammer. I can then I can charge five hundred dollars for a fancy hammer. If you made a hammer out of black palm, <laughs> you'd be have to pay five hundred dollars for the wood. Yeah. All right. The next question comes from Golden Arc Metalworks. Hey, hot stuff! I got a question for you. My first forge was made with <coughs> old fire. You all right? Yeah. Okay. My first forge was made with old fire brick for an electric from an electric kiln, and the burner is a homemade contraption of pipe and gas orifice <laughs> in a gas orifice. It works all right, but it barely gets past the bright orange heat. Any tips for building a new forge burner? Thanks for the show. Love you guys. Do you? What do you? What are your? What's the you? Because you build forges. Cliff builds forges. Kill Cliff builds forges. All right. So I mean, what are your? What's your opinion on, on 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 um, the burners? What would, um, you, what would you do? We've we've done both. Uh, we you know Cliff has just made a burner out of like plumbing go to the store and buy a bunch of plumbing supplies and then we bought a couple I think we have it's like a T-Rex burner or something weird like that um is there a burner I think it could be like maybe there might be a regulator problem for this guy if it's not you know it, it wouldn't be the insulation that's keeping it from getting hot if there's insulation right if there's fire brick or whatever it's just not um, it's not he, he might have an issue with his regulator um you know, that's actually pushing the gas in. Maybe it's just not getting enough or, right. or you know, any. Um, if you were to buy a new burner, do you have a person you rep- you recommend? I don't. I don't All right, know. there you go. Don't recommend. So he, check your, hey, Golden Arcs. Whatever that, I don't know, the, the, the T-Rex burner or anything. Or I, I think, I want to say that's what it is. It, it's it's pretty good. Uh, we have it on like a really, a, did you ever see that little forge we have? Yeah. We have it on a, a very small forge and it gets hot. So it's a T-Rex really, really, really burner? Who, who makes those? I, I don't know. T-Rex? T-Rex. The, the <laughs> band? Yeah, the band T-Rex. Okay, that's good. Why do I need TV when I got T-Rex? There you go, my Come man. On. All right, old school. All right, yeah. so the next one comes from Ben the Beast. I Eight. would try a ribbon burner, actually. Somebody asked about a ribbon. What's the difference between a ribbon burner and a regular The burner? ribbon burner, uh, as opposed to like the Venturi burner, yeah. where it, it, it pulls in... You know the uh, oxygen from the atmosphere to make it hotter. That's a venturi. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the ribbon burner. It it seems that it has a a, a chamber before uh, the fire comes out. Right. So w- within the whole, uh, you know, brick. It kind of looks like a brick that you like install, right? But with like little holes. Um, yeah, with holes in it. Um, it mixes inside of that and then pushes out the holes, so you get a more even uh, flame. Right. From what I understand, and uh, it's more efficient. So why and would you why would you out. use why would you use a ribbon burner over why would you prefer a ribbon burner? What what would be the use of a ribbon burner rather than a venturi burner? I think it's a more even heat. Like you know, in your forge, you, have, you probably have a hot spot. You know, so if you're making for, you know that you know, that's one thing that I was I was talking to uh, Mike Quisenberry a while ago. He was telling me, and he's a master bladesmith, you know, awesome dude. He told me that he can tell what kind of forge you were using or if there was a hot spot in your Damascus because if you have like if you have uh if you're putting your your knife in there's like you can see the circles from where the burners are. Yeah. 
So I would that makes a lot of sense. So I would think that a um, a ribbon burner might because it's you're not going to have that situation. You're going to have a much more even situation. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the fuel mix is the fuel and oxygen mix is is a you know more even mix, and then the 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 flame itself is more evenly distributed in the forge. All right. There you go. We hit, hit, there's a few ribbon burner questions I can not have to answer Yeah, those. we cannot talk about those. All right, let's go. Well, also, you know, you can do, a, you know, a circle or a half circle. You know, that guy, uh, Jorgen Hall, is always just building uh, forges. I don't know, he's a blacksmith out in the Pacific Northwest. But um, he gets very nerdy about it, and having a uh, proper circulation of the heat and the flame is also important. So you see a lot of these guys with a box which doesn't get as good circulation as a circle. Right. Or a oval or There's not yeah. It actually makes the flame spin. Right. So you get an even heat rather than you put it in this box and you're just getting blasted. Right. Like right from the top. Right. Mm-hmm. There you go. No the more burners. <laughs> yeah. So we, we hit all the forge we hit all the forge questions. Yeah, no all more right. forge questions. No more forge. Oh, here we go. Well, this this one, is forging. This this one comes from Ben the Beast. You all right? Yeah. You okay? Yeah. yeah. You sure? Yeah. We're, right. we're cramped in this boot, this podcast booth. Stop, I can't believe we both fit in Stop moving around. <laughs> stop moving around. Hey, cutie. Do you have any? This comes from Ben the Beast. Hey, cuties. Do you have any tips on on anvil repairs, like chipped edges or dented faces? What's your opinion on anvil repairs? You actually, you repaired my anvil <laughs> after breaking it. <laughs> well, that, that that's a very interesting. It's a pre-existing condition. Well, so so what happened was. And and the funny thing is, is like we I joke that he broke my anvil. It wasn't really his fault. He actually hit the. I have a a, a Fisher anvil, which is cast. The bottom's cast, and then the top is forge welded on the top. He hit the face. I saw he hit the face of the anvil. We hit the material. I hit the hardy. You hit. You no. You no, we no, were no, setting no. the hardy tool. Oh, you were and making it a hardy flew tool. Up. And Jesse was, Savage had been forging bottle openers on that horn all day long. I think he did it. I thought you said Dave did it. Maybe it was Dave. All right, it was Dave. It was Jesse. It was so what Dave. happened was or was Dave. it when the t- the tip the 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 steel face the the hardened steel face of the anvil popped up, you could see that there was a ton of rust between both sides. Like so, it it seemed as though it wasn't actually that part wasn't actually forge welded on the body of the thing. Right? Yeah, it That's was. My it was probably you know maybe it was a casting the defect. Ju- a casting defect. Or you so, know that I, that's a pretty old Fisher too. So you know maybe it was. Yeah, you know, when they say when they say they do it better back in the day, I don't think they do. I think they were fooling around. Somebody was taking a coffee break. So when you repaired it, you guys repaired it. How how would you when you're welding? If you have to weld a big gouge, what are the things that you want to make sure that you're doing right? I think generally you would want to avoid doing that much. Right. We did it because it was for you and we broke it. And every time you see it, you say, you say, you say, don't hit, don't use the horn. Don't use the horn. Um, we did, we ended up using uh, a couple different rods. One was electrodes. Know, yeah. Electrodes for, for a stick. Um, I think it was a hard faced in the end, but, uh, the first one, I can't remember what it was, but it was, uh, you know, it got better penetration on like the rust and the cast, uh, uh on the cast material. Right. And then on top of that was a hard facing rod. Um, if you have like minor chips on the edges, I I think it might be better to just grind, grind it down. It's better to have. It's good to have a lot of a variety of radiuses. Right. Yeah. If you have a sharp edge, and the other one is radiused, um, I've ground mine down into almost like a taper. 
So on one end of the of the edge is you know a, a very big radius and then it tapers down to a small one and that's useful for a lot of a lot of things. Um it's not I mean I've seen guys just like MIG weld it. Yeah. And that's I don't know. Um it's I, you want to preheat it first off. Okay. But not so hot that you kill the temper of your anvil. Right. But you need to preheat it to make a good weld or else right. your weld's just going to pop right out. Um I I would be I would be selective about how much repairing. Right. I one thing one thing that is one of the things especially when you're buying an anvil I think that you should be very wary about, wary about. It's not easy to just weld. I mean, I know that um, Justin Morell over at Morell Metalsmiths, they have a repair day. I think Bob Menard is involved with that. And then if you're up in uh, Massachusetts, you can actually bring your... They have a special day where you bring your anvils in and they do, they do all the repairs. I think it's like a... It's kind of a great idea. I think you do have to be very careful, especially when you're selecting an anvil. If you see an anvil that's like super, super chipped up, you really want to... I when I look at anvils and if you I'm, I'm not like Jesse where I know everything about anvils, but like when I see an anvil I'm always looking for the corners and if you can ease the if if the corners really chipped up and you can ease the edge, then it's then there might be value to that. I, I really look at the edges very much and I look at the face and in regards to. If you if your repair is reductive, that means you're using a flap disc or something like that. It's very manageable, but if there are giant chips and giant, even a horn, a horn of an anvil isn't that bad. I mean, unless the the nose is busted off, you can just make a, you can reduce it down and make it like more of a taper, you know. But you got to be real careful when it comes to buying an anvil and thinking, oh, that's not too bad. I could fix that. I get, I would never weld up an anvil. You know, sometimes I've worked on anvils that are so fucked up that I'm just like, I don't even really want to use it. Because what happens is if you work on that chip or that cut or whatever, you're going to embed whatever you're working on with that chip. But you know what you should do if you're going to try to grind something? Go get yourself a Clarix Metalwork BG Pro. The BG Pro comes from, it's a Bulgarian company, Clarix, and they have a BG Pro version 2 belt grinder. The complete package has a six-way rotatable work rest. That means you can move that work rest all over the place. Um, it's got a, a great platen. It's got a VFD. The body is cast aluminum. It's got forward and reverse on that VFD. It's got a wide selection of contact wheels, radius, rotary platens, and all sorts of attachments. Go to clericsmetalwork.com. There, especially if you're in Europe and you want to get yourself, you want to get yourself a good grinder. Clarix Metalworks for you. Thank you, Clarix, for sponsoring the podcast. And now we're gonna do. You know what you should do. It's definitely important to have a good two by seventy two grinder to uh, repair your anvil edges. Yeah, don't use your don't <laughs> Just hold if, that if thing. you can hold if you can hold. Yeah, I mean, I forgot about that. If you can hold up your anvil to your two by seventy two grinder, you come on down here and you strike for us. Yeah, I got a job for you. Yeah, John's gonna make you. You're gonna be the we'll call you the hydraulic press. All right, you know what you should do. This first one comes from our friend Jonathan Pinkston Blacksmith. You know him. No. He's a good dude. He's a young guy. He's part of the chain gang. That's uh, Ethan Hardy and Mark Ling. They're the like the Midwest version of the Modern Forge. Isn't Ethan Canadian? Uh yeah, but I mean, yes. But they that whole their whole team it's these young bucks. Who, <laughs> they're these young bucks. They're we're the like the northeast, you know, tri-state 
you know, weirdos. And they're the like family the, men. Yeah, we're the we're the older <laughs> yeah we're the older family men with a with a bit of a attitude, and they're these young bucks here. So Jonathan Pinks, the blacksmith, says, tip for the new blacksmith, try some cross-section development. Forge a cube of the parent bar down to a smaller square bar and forge it through the progression of octagon, 16 sides, rough round, and perfect. The simple exercises teaches enough. Do you know what he's talking about? Yeah. See, this is what, what Jonathan is doing is he's giving you the young buck science answer. To, to what the, so the cross dimension you want to talk about that what he's talking about the cross dimensional sections I, I wonder is he talking about doing it by hand no what he's talking oh, about is hammer. when you're no he's talking about by hand what he's talking about is when you're forging you no, want to know work in is. square like he, he he you know that's the thing is you don't want to forge you want to forge everything in square so your cross section is square and actually it's really interesting too because when you do bottle openers, sometimes for my bottle openers, the outside ring gets too wide, and if you don't keep it square, it get the the fate the outside edge gets too flimsy. So what he's talking about is you want to keep everything, forge everything square, and then when you're ready to start to round, you break the corners. So from square, you break the corners to eight, then you break the corners again, and then you're there at round. If you start to forge on a power hammer and you forge to square, and then you go immediately to round. You're actually not, it won't actually work. You're going to get it super choppy. So what you want to do is you want to think about your material in square, keeping it square. And then when you're ready to kind of transform it from a square to circle, then you break the corners and then break the corners again. And then that gets you around. All right, you young buck. The next tip comes from Bob Rankin Custom Knives. You know, Bob? I do. He says, here's my hammer tip. Buy hammers from Sunset Forge NJ. They are fantastic. Also, I like the wide peen for working bevels. It doesn't leave as deep of a mark. Well, Bob is obviously a genius. I, listen. And we should all listen to Bob. I only buy, I buy Damascus only from Bob because he has never let, his Damascus never let me down. But I'm glad he buys your hammers. You should definitely do that. Well, he's only bought one. Could buy a few more, Bob. Oh, Bob. Sorry, Gotta Bob. test them all out. I didn't, I didn't different really... peen sizes, different shapes. There you and are. Weights. And come on, Bob. Come on, Bob. Come on, Bob. All right, Bob. So do you want to take the next one? Mike Dipple Blacksmith. Dippel. Whatever. He corrects me every time. He gets mad. Sorry, Mike Dippel. Uh Lay out your next step before your billet goes in the forge. So as soon as you pull it out to the for- pull it out to forge, there's no guesswork at the most valuable forging temp. This also prevents a lot of errant blows. He says, get yourself squared away. Get yourself squared away is right. All right, the next one, I made the the, the, the questioner anonymous because I, I feel like this is a very contentious tip, all right? So anonymous says, use a $35 Amazon hammer. Use it for everything, ruin it, and get another one. I hate these people swinging these giant hammers. It puts the wrong impression into beginners and I constantly see people in our classes that think they need a three to four pound hammer for everything. You're making a wall hook. You need a one pound hammer. Oh yeah. And the hammer shouldn't exceed 2% of the anvil weight. I snapped an anvil in half with too big of a hammer. But every beginner starts with a 60 pound anvil and the biggest hammer they can find. Thanks, Forge and Fire. What do you think about all this? Well, <clears throat> Mr. Snapping uh, Anvils in Half... 
should come and grind the hammer, the anvil face on the two by seventy two grinder. <laughs> yeah, I, I, this sounds like my man. <laughs> he's bra- um, he's busting yeah, the hammer. You, no, you, you don't need a you don't need a two hundred dollar hammer. That's fine. Go go to I'll do even better. Go to Harbor Freight and buy one for nine dollars, and grind it like and grind it to whatever you want. That's fine. That's all you. That's all you have to say. I see. I, do whatever you my, want. My, here's here's you know this is I mean we're hammer talk now. If you want to be cool, you could buy one from me. Well, they, see, here's, or from anyone. Here's, here's my opinion about you know we are talking to people who are making custom things. A lot of the listeners are making um, knives that they're selling. They're not something you can get on Amazon. I personally, my personal opinion is I really don't talk about Harbor Freight or Amazon anymore. I don't really talk about Harbor Freight because my opinion is is because I'm selling a custom object. I should be, and I'm expecting people to pay custom prices, then I should be supportive of other custom makers. Like, if you look at my hammers, I get hammers from you, I get hammers from my friends. I personally believe that hammers are not, I custom hammers, even on the high end, under $300, are not expensive. I think it's important to... Um, to say, okay, fine, go get yourself a hammer from wherever. But I would prefer, especially considering who we're talking to, is to to be supportive of a custom maker and not just be wasteful and buying a cheap hammer. I've seen the hammers at Home Depot. They're nothing to write home about. I mean, their blacksmith hammer was not made by blacksmiths. Well, I agree agree with what you said, all that stuff, but... If you're just getting started, you need to get a few hammers. It's you know, it's a lot of it's a lot of equipment to buy. Of course. So, but at the same time, it's like you're gonna buy one of these bullshit hammers and a sixty pound. Well, who buys a sixty pound? Where's a sixty pound hammer from? I'm a 60, anvil. Sixty pound anvil from? Who knows? Was it Chinese? Chinese iron, <clears throat> cast iron yeah, anvil. A Vulcan. Whatever. Um, you you know you're gonna grow. It's it's like why spend the money on that when you can get something that's gonna last you a long time? Right. You know, um, I would say if you do go and buy something from a store, get something with a wood handle, not a fiberglass handle. Um, that will melt. Right. If you get it too hot, you know, you rest on the anvil and then you put your work next to it. You see your handle starts to smoke a little bit because of just radiant heat. So if you're going to go buy something, at least get something with a wood handle. Go to a flea market. Get, you know, old tools are great. You don't have to buy a cheapo made in China, you know, piece of crap hammer. You can get like old Stanleys you can find you know really nice hammers at flea markets yeah I just I, my my opinion is is like I think that I think that it is important to be supportive especially for custom pe- people yeah. making custom stuff I think it is important to, to, to also value the hard work of other custom makers well you can um, value it you just can't <clears throat> afford it I, my, I'm still at the point now where I think that I've never seen a hammer made by somebody like you or Jake or, or Ben Snur. None of them have ever, I've never thought who, why are they charging so much? I don't think that $200 is extraordinary for a forge, for a, for a handmade forged hammer. I'll be honest with you. I'm surprised there's that inexpensive. You know, I, I would think the amount of work and the amount, and the other thing is, is like when we're talking about, you know, let's say you're getting really good at hammer making and you're making them faster. And then, you know, you, what well, you said that you can punch a hole in one heat versus somebody who's doing it by hand. I'm going to take them 10 heats. It's your, the learning and the experience of making it more efficient and you're passing on the savings to somebody else. I could make a hammer. It could take me all day. And then I could have Tony find out what my, the daily rate of the shop is. And he could charge someone the daily rate of the shop for the one hammer. And then you're like, why, why is that expensive? And you're saying it's because that's the rate of the shop. 
That's nonsense. That's too expensive. We're like, oh, it made it in 20 minutes, but it took you a lifetime to get to that skill level. Exactly. And and and, and if you're if you're breaking anvils and par- apart, <laughs> seriously, I get, you got to come over here with the BG Pro. And you gotta lift that anvil up and fix <laughs> yeah. it with a BG Pro because you're a monster. I mean, the the anonymous does have a point. Fine, I thought there. you were gonna beat him up, but fine. Like the reason I th- part of the reason why you know I may have broke your anvil is because I was using an, an 11 pound sledge and I was just hitting it too. But damn you didn't hard. hit the you didn't hit the nose of the anvil. You hit the face. I hit very hard. Yes, you do. You <laughs> break. He breaks. You get one. So I never met someone who breaks more hammers than you do. And, You're a beast. You know, like we said before, a one-pound hammer is you know for tappy tap tapping. You you could if you you can use whatever hammer you're comfortable with weight wise, but using too light of a hammer could be as bad as using too heavy of a hammer. Because you're just working harder to do nothing. You're right. you're you're doing you're hitting it fifty times and it's doing nothing when you could use a slightly heavier hammer, and and actually accomplish something. I think that you should read the next tip. From our friend Ben Snoor. Ben Snoor. It's a Snoor. long one. Oh, God. Unless you want me to read it. You read it. <clears throat> well, he's right. Ben Snoor says Tip number one buy all the shitty ball peens you come across. Once the flat end has been softened, they make excellent top tools for texturing as is or are easily modified to be a hot cut, a fuller, a hole punch, etc. Yeah. He's got a lot of tips. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, with that, make sure you uh, soften the. And your strike, but then you have to re then you have to reharden it, right? No, just just only heat up the uh, you know the end that you're gonna use to actually hit with a hammer. So you don't want to hit a hardened hammer against another hammer. Okay, so what you're saying is is you need so to just ma- take it a settling oxycetylene torch or whatever and soften up the, ha- and, the and, face and, that you're gonna hit. Yeah, soften that and then just that's it and quench it. All right, Ben Snur has run a few tips, so we'll we'll round rock <clears throat> Ben. Yeah, this you is Ben Ben Snip Ben Snur's number two tip is. Make your own hammers. If the edges of the face are too crisp, round them on what works best. Uh, if the handle's too big, whittle it down. Little modifications like that can take a hammer from a great tool to a perfect one. I when one of the things that I learned was I bought my first hammer. I bought myself after I got all hot about it was I got a petting house from Amy Pay, I think it was, and when it came. John Ledford told me he's like you gotta he's like you have to you have to dress that hammer that hammer is out of the factory it's bullshit like the edges were fucking crisp it just needed a little bit of dressing so he showed me on a slack belt get your combat abrasives for your slack belt and you actually kind of ease those corners and you have to dress the face to make sure because whatever you're hitting if there's like a chip in your hammer or they're on the edge is too sharp you're going to embed that imp- you're going to impress whatever disaster your hammer is into what you're forging it's especially if your hammer control needs work right all right what's number three tip uh, this is from once again this is still from ben snore ben snore don't forge with a hammer that has a perfectly flat face a hammer face should be crowned slightly that's what jeff's Yes, yeah, for sure. Because because otherwise you end up with chops. Like I've seen, I've seen if you hit with a a flat, a super flat face, like a like a like a sledgehammer, you are going to embed the face of your hammer into. So the idea is is like you have to also think about it when like you're using your fingers. You know, your fingers aren't super flat, so when you're pinching something, they're the the end, the apex of the roundness of your fingertip is pushing everything out. So if you are if you have a rounded face, you're actually moving the material out 
towards the outside. But if you have a super flat face and you hit the steel with the super flat face, there's nowhere for that material to go. And what happens is, is you just embed the face of the hammer into your steel, and that's not forging. Well, and don't fool bullshit. yourself. You're not going to hit it perfectly square. Yeah. So you're going <clears> to <throat> basically hit the edges. You're going to muck it all up. There you go. And tip number four. Uh, tip no, Oh, there's five tips. I didn't even realize. Oh, my God. Tip number four from Ben Snore is if you're new to forging, don't start with too heavy of a hammer. Get a manageable weight that won't wear you out too fast or cause shoulder issues. Developing hammer control is easy with a lighter hammer. As muscle memory and skill increases, it's easier to swing big hammers. That's true. That's what we're going to do today. We're going we're gonna to yeah. warm up. We're going to swing some hammers. We're going to swing some hammers. Um, He's right. Okay, what's tip number five? I mean, I swing a heavy hammer differently than I swing a light hammer, though. My whole like body position is different. Can I tell you that I have a hard time striking because I never struck before, and I may or may not have broken a piece of my hand before, so when I'm actually striking all day, I every time I get this incredible pain in my hand because I'm not used to it, but I also think that I might have broken my hand at some point in my life. Um, so that is true. I, you, when, you're, when you're forging, you forge differently based on the hammer you have. I mean, not even just to a sledgehammer. Like, you know, I was saying before I use like this like four four and three quarter five pound hammer i swing that differently than i would swing a two pound hammer right like i choke right. up differently i stand at the anvil differently there you are so you you know got to get used to all the different things gotta, there you, you are do it. you just got to do it you just got to do it also anvil height is is important. what is your opinion on anvil height ours mine's ours are act both all of them are low because cliff and i do a lot of striking right um and i've just become accustomed to forging on a lower anvil right i think it's i want to say it was like 33 inches high um it's lower than my knuckles right um i think that's the the accepted height um if it's too high it ends up hurt, hurting your elbow um like i have a our, my guillotine is set up on another anvil and it's just too high i was using it the other day and it like my whole like elbow and shoulder is just like killing me because the way it's on the anvil, then the height of it plus the die. Right. I was. I'm like. I'm like hitting like a foot higher than I usually am, and it was just like killing me. That's that's very interesting because you're gonna hate my anvils because you know, I, like I said, I've only really learned how to forge by myself, so I find myself not wanting to stoop over so much, and when I'm forging, I'm not like. I'm not doing these massive, like jumping up in the air, coming down like these, you know, these crazy swings, so. And with a with a heavier hammer, with a three pound hammer, I'm finding myself very comfortable at knuckle height. Knuckle height on your top of your face and your anvil isn't necessarily good for for striking because you're you're not you're not getting the maximum the apex of the hit from your from your striker because it's so high you're losing. Right. A if you're bit. striking, you're the height of the what you're like whatever the hammer blank let's say plus a top tool should be about your knuckle height then. Oh, okay. So, like, the, the all those things added up should be at the same level as if you were just holding something and forging so it. So, that's a very interesting point. So, maybe your ha anvil height should be... It should be close. It should be close to knuckle height, but, like, X, you know what? That's I never even thought about that. So, it's the idea is you want the material to be at knuckle height, not necessarily the yeah. anvils. The anvils so, if you're be, forging knives, you could go with knuckle God height because it. it's not that big. My anvils are too high. My anvils are too high because they should be a little bit under knuckle height. It's good, the material I'm using should be at knuckle height. Roughly, you know, there's that's fascinating. There's some, I never even room. thought about that. There's wiggle room. 
Do you want to read number tip number five from from uh, Ben Snoor? Well, this is the worst of his tips, which is to buy <laughs> Ben Snoor's hammers. What? He bought fine. Go buy them, and and you know that's fine. I have one of his Farrier hammers. I bought one of his Farrier hammers, and he did a. Yeah, uh, I know. You cheated on me. I did. That's the funny thing. Is he stepped out on me. That's the funny thing about these goddamn hammer makers. You get a relationship with them, and you you start to they start to get like they're like. They're like ex-girlfriends. They get very upset. He got John got not John got mad at me because I, because and and Ben I I bought I bought Ben's hammers. I'm gonna give a plug to Ben sells his hammers at wellshod.com, which is a fit. What are you cracking your knuckles for? This is a podcast. What is that podcast sounds? Come on, man. <laughs> Fucking cracking his knuckles. Finishing up. We're almost done. I know. I'm getting ready. So Ben sells his hammers at wellshod.com, which is a farrier supply company, and they're great. And I. You know, what I try to do is I'm not one of these guys who says, you know, slips into someone's DMs and say, when I get some money, I'm going to buy it. I just fucking buy. Like, I, John got mad at me because he, he, he had a hammer on his website. That's the other thing. You go to Sunset Forge, New Jersey, and he's got hammers on every so often. He does batches. I just went on and bought. I don't, I don't like talking about it because you know, I don't want to be one of these big talkers. So I wanted one of Ben's snores because I never had a, a Farrier-style hammer. And I just ordered. I just ordered it from. I didn't say a word to him. I just bought it, bought it off of. They're very good priced. If you like Farrier hammers, he's got that Jim Poor style Farrier hammer. Um, I loved it. And what he did was he actually put a. He chiseled in a heart. He chiseled a heart on the face, and he said he told me he didn't have the he didn't have the balls to write cutie, so he just did GF in a heart. <laughs> so Ben Snor is an awesome dude, and and. Um, he just actually. Did you see the the uh, tongs he forged out? Yeah, he those did, are sweet. He makes he. You know that's the other thing is we didn't really get into tongs much, but the farrier style tongs, the reins are different because they kind of like forge in these steps on the outside of the face, uh, outsides of the tongs by the boss. I never really understood why. I think it's just a flare, but the, it, it. But they're really, really cool. You know, those cowboys—they they like their big belt buckles, the big hats, the flared on the tongs, fancy boots. Do you ever see Ben Snur? I mean, he does a picture. Have you ever of, seen him? No, I mean, he does. A, he does like a little video in his truck. Yeah, yeah. He's it's the like coolest. He's the purple cool, sunglasses. He's the, my favorite cowboy because sometimes he'll have like a blue felt cowboy hat, and he always has a nice button down shirt. Is always clean. He has, you know, he presses his jeans. He says like, if they're not if they're not starched enough, they need to stand up. He is. <laughs> he, he got the crazy glasses on. He got a big old beard and mustache. I Ben Stern is one of my favorite characters around. He's this totally he's such a character, but he makes beautiful. He just forged some beautiful tongs um, for uh, the class, the hammer making class at for at uh, Doghouse Forge. I will be. He makes uh, sweet sledges that I'll. Oh, you guys are doing a trade. I'll soon be getting one of his uh, right. nice eight pound sledgehammers. Wow, eight pound sledgehammer! Don't play around. Don't play around. Eight pound sledgehammer. Wow. I. You have a. Sledge- I just. I love that the sledgehammers are. That farrier hammer, but just gigantic. Yeah, like I love how cartoony it is. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, man, I want to. Sw- I'll swing that. I'll swing that all day. Speaking of sledgehammers, I have a question. I got a cross, a six pound cross peen or three pound, five, six pound cross peen from from Dave. And I thought I, I thought I was going to use it, but I, the the because it's a cross peen, I'm never. I only use the face to strike. Do you ever find yourself using? A cross peen sledgehammer for striking. You ever use the cross peen? We part? yeah. For what? When uh, Cliff and I were making that anchor. Oh yeah, you guys made an awesome we, anchor um, at Jimmy's uh, for Maker Camp. 
we we started it we did like a practice one or whatever and at one point part part of the uh you know in the forging to forge out the the flukes the right. those are the big fin part right um we started you know we started it by drawing it out aggressively with right. the with the sledgehammer with the cross peen huh. of the sledge or the yeah the peen of the sledgehammer cuz we could just do it faster than than with like a top tool so you could just you could wail out it bam 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 and and start to get it to move out and then we went in and did the cleanup work. See, that, see, the, the, the one thing is that we never really, we didn't really catch upon, and we're kind of r- rounding third on the show is the concept of the top tool. Using a top tool when you're with a striker is easy to do. You get the top tools on the anvil, and then you have a top tool, and then you have a striker hitting your top tools. When you're by yourself, there's, there's, there's no. I mean, I for that reason, the only reason why I use a sledgehammer by myself. Is if I'm if uh, the times that I were dro- was I was driving a drift in a hammer eye or axe I made an axe a couple weeks ago and I was using the the bigger hammer to drive the drift in and that and then once in a while when I want to hit it when I want to get a real good impression with my my uh, touch mark I'll use it but you're not really if you're by yourself <laughs> there's not a really you can't really use a top tool unless you use the guillotine tool. Made by Cliff Dufton and John Ariani. They, I got their guillotine tool, and it, it prevents you from needing a striker because it is the top tool. You can have different faces and different dyes, and it's a great way to you kind of... You faked me out. I thought you were going to say, unless you dick-tongue it. Oh, we got to talk about dick-tongue. You got to dick-tongue right. it sometimes. So if you, use a guillotine, <laughs> if you use a guillotine tool, if you use a guillotine tool, you can... Um, that's all right. I got. We got. We're gonna end on. <laughs> we got time gonna, for dick tools. Right, we're gonna. We're gonna end on that. We're gonna get. The, so the guillotine tools are great tools for. And this is not a paid sponsorship. I'm just. I have. I'm looking at the guillotine tool now. That was the only way I could actually use um, a, a brill without a striker. Kind of using top tools with the guillotine tool. Uh, let's go into community showcase, and then we'll finish off talking dick tongs. So, community showcase is a time where we kind of give some love to someone that in the community that we think that we that you would like. Um, one of the, this this the person I want to talk about is Douglas underscore Pryor. The only reason why I, I, I it's classic because I never heard of him until I found out that you and Cliff had him come to your shop to teach a class for the students at the. At a Cliff's, <clears throat> Cliff's Art Student League, yeah. the Art Student League, they all came out to Sunset Forge, and 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 Douglas Pryor was there. He does repose work that is as masterful as you can get. This guy, so what repose is, is you have a piece of steel, and then maybe you'll anneal it a little bit, and then you'll have uh, like wax, like wax a pitch. A, it's called a pitch. It's like a wax surface that you chisel into. And then you chisel out. So you're moving the material as on the flat sheet metal in and out, and you're creating volume based on the material stretching, the material's cold forging, for lack of a better word. And you're actually able to kind of chisel the steel in and then chisel the steel out, and then you can make faces. He made this face. It was like the face of Zeus. I don't know what the hell it was. I mean, it was extraordinary. Every mustache hair. It was. He's. He is. He is. I put him in with like Seth Gould in terms of these young guys who are back to the old school master ways um that we have lost you know he is the two of those guys Seth Gould and Douglas Pryor have like brought back this these techniques that 
I thought they were lost. And I, I mean, it, you see it and you're just like, how the hell did they do that? But they, you know, 200 years ago, they were doing the same thing. But he's Douglas Pryor rules. So go follow he's, Douglas uh, underscore Pryor. He's awesome. Yeah. He's like, he's, it's like, he's not even doing like metal work. <laughs> we're, right. we're not doing the same thing. Me and Douglas, or you would, you know, yeah. he is, he's just like this other level it's of, a cut above. of uh, just artistry and metalwork. It's, you know, he has to draw that stuff too. Yeah. And then, and then draw it with a chisel. And then just to see the, the depth, uh, the sculptural depth of it is uh, outrageous. And he's like ridiculously humble about it. Yeah. Like he could totally be a dick. And, you'd, and, you'd, <laughs> and you would still be like, well, whatever, you, your work yeah, is amazing. You're still, He's like a really like sweet guy, yeah. uh, incredibly nice and, and humble about everything that he's doing. You know, you, you compliment him and he's just like, oh man, thanks. That's so nice. You know, a good dude. He's just a really so, good I mean, dude. Talent's um, out the door. You know, I, in the day I was with him, I learned a lot. Um, you know, fun fact, he also teaches parkour. Really? <laughs> yeah. Are you kidding me? Yeah, it's funny. He teaches parkour? Yeah. So he's jumping around buildings and then making faces too? Yeah, yeah. I don't know about the what faces. Is he, where does he teach parkour? In California. He's, you know. Holy shit. I think he's in California. He's like Oakland or something. Dang. Does he have an Instagram for his parkour? What a, no. what a, what a, what a, wow. That is a, fun that is fact. A, that is a fun fact. Yeah, 100%. Who uh, you got? He's uh, uh, on Instagram at litvvs. I don't know. Is Elias Cinderus? Somebody I followed for a really long time. Okay. He was in Massachusetts and he just moved across. He just like doesn't have a lot of followers, but his work is incredibly clean. Um forged finish. Wow. Really, really nice. Super simple, cool. simple knives. Um he makes tools, hammers, um, does some engraving. Uh is really interesting guy. Um doesn't post a lot. Right. Um he just moved, so maybe that's that's uh. the reason. I think he's getting resettled on the West Coast. But um Really good guy. I followed him for a long time. He makes really nice folders, folding knives. Very cool. And uh, I've always wanted one. Well, you made a folding knife. Yeah, you, don't need, you don't need anybody else's folding knives. So we're, we're going to bypass beefs. We're going to bypass dreams. I've got no beefs with anyone. No, we got no beefs. we got no beefs. We're going to go. We're going to have a, This is a new segment called Dick Tongs. And a few episodes ago, I did Knife Talk Single Track, and I asked you to bring up a tip and the tip you brought up was the best tip we ever had which is dick tonging so do you want to re explain what dick tonging is and then we can just kind of talk about how <laughs> dick tonging has turned into a, like a kind of production well so what's dick tonging it's it's the way it's, it's a third hand right right use yeah. use your third hand right um a lot a lot of you know we we're saying with the tongs or with the top tools you know you you can't hit it but you you know you can hold it there was a question in there about integral knives, right. which I was thinking, well, this is where we slip in the dip, dick tongue. All right, things. so we'll bring it in. A guy wanted to know how you forge <clears throat> the, the bolster in on an integral bolster. Um, you can use, I would say, if you you know, if you know, go, you get your chipped up anvil, and then you radius the edge. Then now you have one edge, and you have a top tool. So then you make that isolation for the bolster by dick tonguing it, holding the top tool over the edge. Right. And now you make that same impression on either side. Right. And then you hit it. Dick with tongue. with a something heavier than a one pound hammer. Because right. that's not gonna do anything. May as well hit it with a wet noodle. So di- so dick tonging, there's a few important parts about dick tonging <laughs> that you have to make sure. So dick tonging is your holding I forgot your- what I wrote. I wrote. Right. So so dick tonging <laughs> is you're holding your steel in your tongs. Your anvil height is very critical 
because it's got to be dick height. It's got to be well under the balls height. Under balls height. Under balls plus height. material. Plus material. <laughs> yeah. So your handful height has to be under ball material plus material, and then because what you're doing is you're holding the the tongs with your nuts. Yes. Under your nuts. Under your nuts. And then you're you're striking your top tool or, you know, like I dick tong it when I do the, uh, when I'm punching in uh, my touch mark. If I'm touching, if I'm punching it on a knife, I usually dick tong it. There were a lot of, Ashley Childs said to me, she's like, well, what about if you're a woman? Because I dick tong it and then obviously I'm not, I don't have a dick. So it's, it's box tongs. And I had to say, well, there are box tongs. Box tongs do exist. Slot tongs? I don't think that we should be. I. What is this? What are you doing? Oh, now it, the uh, only time we do a Howard Stern reference is now. How's the Wait, slot? How's the slot? All right, that's uh, that's uh, never mind. That's uh, nails. Nails. Lenny Dykstra. If you're not listening, to, fine. So the so the whole part about the dick tonging is is it's just it was so funny because I'd never heard about dick tonging it until you had said that to me one time. He's just. I said, can you, I said to somebody at one of your hammers, can you hold this for me? He says, oh, just to dick tong it. I'm like, dick tong it. So thank you very much for bringing dick tonging into my life and our listeners' lives. Because yeah. so, all of a sudden everyone's, everyone's throwing in dick tong every so often and Nick Wheeler liked hashtag dick tongs and that's we, good enough for we, me. We were christened. We were christened. You were christened. I was christened by Nick Wheeler. Well, is there anything you want to, if you're all, you all know Sunset because I talk about them all the time. So it's Sunset Forge NJ, which I wish it wasn't. I wish it was just Sunset Forge, but you say that there's somebody else named Sunset Forge. There is. Go to Instagram and go to Sunset Forge NJ. Follow my brother. He's the best. He's such a good, funny guy. He's such a funny guy. We're going to be at Maker Fair for sure uh, in October. He's going to be there. And and you got to watch your P's and Q's because he is going to roast you. If he likes you, he roasts you. So just be aware that if you're very thin-skinned and he gives you some fritz, it's out of peace and love. But that's just going to be the way it is. Thank you. So, do you have, <laughs> if I don't say anything to you, then watch out. <laughs> yeah, if he, if he doesn't say anything to you, that means that you're not on. You're not. It's not good. It's not. It's not good. John, is there anything you want? Last thing you want to say before we leave? What happened to uh, Jay Z? With hey man, can I ask you a question? Did he send you a cease and desist? No, well, we changed that all up. We did. We were changing. Who's that the supposed jingles. to be? It was supposed to be Jay Z, but it sounded oh, like somebody who's else. Who's the other guy? Who it was, was supposed to be Morgan Freeman? So we back in the who's day. Who's the we, guy who does it now? I don't. I don't. It's a guy who. Craig Craig likes to do get these jingles, and he's, he paid some these, these services to do these voices, and we end up getting these voices that don't sound like. No, that. but who's it supposed to be? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. No, that's a ter- I know that's. Oh, Morgan Freeman. There, there was one. There was Morgan Freeman. It sounds like it's Lebowski or something. It's supposed to be Schwarzenegger. You mean the one that says, they come to places? No, no, I know that's Schwarzenegger. That's supposed to be Schwarzenegger. No, who's the one who... Uh, the sports hey announcer? Hey that's man. the sports Can announcer. He's, the, he's my favorite one. That's the sports who's announcer. Who's it supposed to be? I don't know. Bring back Jay-Z. Guy. Bring back Jay-Z. All right, so there you have it. That's a complete... Listen to me, Craig. Go ahead, speak to Craig. Craig, got to bring back Jay-Z. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? <laughs> you heard him, Craig. I, don't, I had no control over him. So and that, I like I like the Ben Snore drop. Yeah, the Ben Snore drop. I wish it was a little bit crisper. Ben, and you might have to record a crisper version. You may have, come to Jeff's shop, come into the to the sound booth, and just re-record it. You, you, I, I, the only thing I hate about it is I wish it was a little bit crisper. The Ben Snore drop. 
but what are you gonna I can't ask him to do it every five minutes. Can get the cows in the background. That's that's what makes it great. And that's a show. I just want to thank all of our sponsors. I want to thank you, and I want to thank the great and my friend John Ariani for coming by here. Now we're gonna forge a hammer, a few other things. Thank you so much, and thanks for listening. Go on, do me a favor, guys. Go on to YouTube, uh, onto uh, Apple Podcasts, all, wherever you get your podcasts, and give us a five star review and leave us a good review. It helps us with it helps us with everything. So, thanks again, and we'll see you next week, I guess. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.